This is Authors Alcove, where writers learn from writers. Readers get the inside scoop, and everyone learns something. An episode comes out every Wednesday, where writers share their latest work. Every other Tuesday, where us writers get taught by such experts as editors, book cover artists, and marketing execs, and beyond. So grab a cup of coffee, and let's dive into our next book. Welcome to Authors Alcove. This is Agnes Wolf. Today I have Anna Michelle. She is the author of the Long Live the Monarchy series and the Gemstone Witch series, and most recently the Sins and Virtue series. So, what inspired you to be a writer? Oh, well, I have been writing since middle school. And what happened was my mom decided she didn't want us living in the city anymore. So she moved us out to the county. And I was bored during the summer because I wasn't allowed to really leave the house. We were in the middle of nowhere, nothing to do. And I've always been a big reader. And so I sat down and started writing a book. (laughs) And I've been writing ever since. So your most recent one is Sins and Virtue series. The first book has come out. Do you mind just giving me a little bit of a plot summary without giving any spoilers away? Definitely. So Sins and Virtues, the first book is Pride and Humility, and it follows a paranormal police officer, Alessia Nori, and things start going a little sideways in her town as she starts to really dig into what's going on. She learns some secrets about her own past that she didn't know. Interesting. So what was your inspiration behind that one? So it was a mix of things. I always really wanted to write a series wrapped around the seven deadly sins. I didn't really have an idea for it, just that I wanted to do it. And so then I came up with this other idea about how the different abilities had different side effects. And the more you used an ability, the more those side effects became prevalent. And I started just kind of listing those two ideas together. Very creative. Did you know that it was going to be a series before you finished it? I did because I knew I wanted to do one book per sin. What I didn't oh. know was at the time that I was going to pull in the seven heavenly virtues to go with it. <laughs> I, d- I actually don't know what the seven heavenly virtues are. I didn't either. <laughs> we all hear about the seven deadly sins. But they actually all have a mirrored virtue. So like book one is pride and humility. And book two is greed and charity. Then you have lust and chastity and so on. I love that. I really do. I'm going to have to get that. It's like it comes out tomorrow for us, even though it'll be like two months ago when this comes out. We just went live on Amazon today. So if you're a Kindle reader, get it now. now. I am a Kindle reader. So wait until tomorrow. (laughs) Okay. All right. So authors influenced your writing. So it was a mix. Uh, One that I always go to, though, is Laurel K. Hamilton. She did the Anita Blake series and the Mary Gentry series. And part of it is all of her main characters, until her most recent book, have been very powerful women. They've always been very sassy and not doing what they're supposed to do to breaking the rules. Um, I know a lot of people have given her slack because they didn't like how her series went. And she has said it repeatedly. I write these books for me. I just hope that you enjoy them. And I said, no, that's just it. I don't want other people dictating how my books go. I want to write my stories the way I want to write my stories. And then also Nora Roberts, because... 
just the amount of books she has put out is amazing. So where do you get your ideas for your stories from? It's going to sound weird. A lot of them come from Facebook. I see posts on Facebook for the Gemstone Witch series. There is a post that said, hey, take the weather outside and your birthstone. And that's the title of your next book. I went, well, what if I did an entire series for every birthstone? That is funny. So yeah, Facebook, every now and then, um, I'll have some really weird off-the-cuff dream. And I'll be like, ooh, that makes a good story idea. <laughs> That's great. You classified your writing as urban fantasy. What exactly is urban fantasy in comparison to just regular fantasy? Normally when you take the fantasy world, your wizards, your witches, your vampires, and you set it in modern day. The Gemstone Witch series, I have them traveling all through the U.S. The Sins and Virtues series takes place in today's Florida. It is modern day where most people fantasy you're thinking, you know, they're building worlds. They think Lord of the Rings and they're, and oh, what is the other one that was big on TV with the dragons? I'm not 100% sure which one you're talking about. And I um, love dragons. Game of Thrones. Oh, I'm surprised. I didn't think of that. Okay. Yes. So, I mean, those are what most people think of. They're more, like I said, in like a medieval time, in your castles and stuff like that. Urban fantasy is more, you have all your fun magic stuff, but it's set now. Kind of like the Percy Jackson series. Uh, yeah, Percy Jackson, um, Twilight. What are some of the other? But yeah, like that. So what is different about your worlds than it? our world that we actually live in so it really depends on the series so like with the sins and virtue series i have it where the magical world is fully integrated with ours so you have your standard police force and they have the metaphysical police force that kind of works side by side depending on who the criminal is or who the victim is and so I have everything fully integrated. Your next door neighbor could be a vampire and the guy across the street could be a werewolf. Uh, um, then with the Gemstone Witch series, it's more secretive. They're trying to get their powers back, but they also have to hide the fact that they have these powers from the humans next door. And eventually part of that series is going to be talking about what it would be like to be somebody of a mystical born, you know, like a vampire or a shifter, what it would be like for them if tomorrow the humans found out that they existed. Of your books, which was the most fun to world build, even though you're not really world building, but like to um, explore the magical world within our world? As It's the Gemstone Witch series, because I've not only had to sit down and figure out how are they doing magic without their abilities, but also talking to other people about what would it be like if you found out tomorrow your next door neighbor is a werewolf? How does that change things in our world? And we all know, us humans, we don't always take change well. <laughs> we see that all through history. And so that has been a lot of fun to kind of figure out, like, what is going to happen when they go, hey, by the way, we're here. 
So these are all separate worlds. They're not, none of them intermingle with each other. Not yet. Not yet. Interesting. There will be additional series coming out in the Gemstone Witch world. Other than that, all of my series are within their own world. So you mentioned that a common theme in all of your books, and right now there's five because there's the Monarchy series is complete. It has two. And what are the titles? Long Live the Queen and Long Live the King. And then right now there's only two in the Gemstone Witch series, and that's going to be how many? Do you know? Twelve. Twelve. Uh, one for each month. That's right. And then there's seven that's going to be for the Sins and Virtues series, correct? Mm-hmm. All right. And so you have five out at the current moment. Um, but you mentioned that found family is a major theme in all of them. Why was that important for you? Um, I think part of it is I grew up of families that always really pushed it comes first. Um, I noticed that for a lot of people, when they say family comes first, what they mean is family comes first when I want you to do something for me. But when you start building your family, you know, those people that you can call on at any time, it seems to be like those are the people who stick around longer. Those are the people you can really turn to. And a lot of people feel like, well, I don't have a family. And then they start realizing they do. It's just not your mom or your dad. It's, you know, your coworker who can call crying because you got a flat on the side of the road and they come and pick you up. It's the cashier at the local grocery store who always makes sure to ask you how your day is. And a lot of people don't realize they have a larger family than they think. That's a really good point. As far as the Pride and Humility, the first book in the Sins and Virtue series, how is found family present in that particular book? So Alessia is an orphan. At the beginning of the book, she has her best friend who is her roommate. Throughout the series, we do develop a love interest. She finds out that some of her biological family is a lot closer than she realized. And she learns that sometimes her biological family isn't the people she needs closest to her. And, you know, we haven't actually talked about the plot. Can you just share what the plot is for that first in the series and maybe the plot overall for the entire series without giving any spoilers? What happens is there is a theft from a major government building and humans are killed. And they realize that this is the first time humans have been killed since the big uprising when the supernatural world joined and it sends them all into panic well she's an officer of the law and she goes into work the next day expecting that this is going to be the topic of conversation only to find that she's been kind of pushed out of the investigation and despite the fact that they are stationed in florida and the break-in happened in new york it seems like the investigation is centered in her own police department. So she is trying to figure out who the thief is, why they stole what they stole, what they stole, and how that's going to affect those around her. And does the entire series follow her or does it follow different people? 
entire series follows Alessia and her growth and change as the series goes on. And she dives deeper into all of the additional thefts throughout the series. What about the Long Live the Monarchy series, since that one is complete? How was found family present in that particular series? Starting in Long Live the Queen, the female protagonist was raised to be queen. The only thing she was ever taught to be. And so because of that, she always kept herself apart. She had friends, but she didn't because in the end, she wasn't their friend. She was their queen. The major plot point in that book is she has to give up her crown. And when she does, she has to learn to let others in and to be a part of her life and not to stand separate from them. And I noticed that there were animals on that. Can you explain, like, what's the the story behind the cover? Um, So they are shifters. The series is about, it's, um, I like to call it my spicy shifter romance series. (laughs) So there are some adult fun scenes in both books. And there's a little bit of shifting. Shifting aspect is more of a side fun time than the storyline of the romance and the learning how to change your life when needed. And then Long Live the King. What is the story behind that particular title? Moving Past Loss. Um, There is a lot of lost book and to outside characters that you are introduced to in the second book. And it's learning how to get past those losses that you think you can never move past and learning to find happiness again. And now switching gears to the Gemstone Witch series, can you give a plot summary for that one without giving any spoilers for um, the direction it's going to go and also where it's already been? Yeah, definitely. So the Gemstone Witch series follows the descendants of 12 of the witches from Salem, Massachusetts, the Salem witch trials. Um, I actually went through and I did the research on the Salem witch trials and I pulled names of the actual accused from the trials. And I decided, you know what, what if they really were witches, but before they were accused, they locked their powers away. So it could not be proven that they were witches. After the trials were over, they all decided to go their separate ways, settle down all across the U.S., and eventually the powers returned to them. We then fast forward to their descendants, and one day, the powers stop working. The descendants don't know about what happened at the trials other than what most people know about. So they have to travel to Salem and learn about this and then try to get their powers back. And each book, they get a different power back and they form one large family with one person from each coven. You will get glimpses of all 12 throughout the entire series. I introduce all 12 in book one. Book one follows McKenna, who is the youngest of the group. She kind of is the spearhead. You know, when they first all come together, it's 50-50. Some of them are like, you know, being a witch hasn't helped me in my life. So why do I need to go through the heartache of trying to earn these powers back? And she's like, no, this is who we are. 
and she kind of pushes them. She becomes the voice for them. And then each book so, uh, follows a different person from a different coven. And you get to learn their backstory and their motivations for getting their powers back. And they also each get to find a love interest. Uh, you really get to see them learning how to cope in a world that they've been handicapped in. Because they're used to having these powers and now they're gone. So how much research did you do into the Salem Witch Trials? Well, especially because the Salem Witch Trials are only in the prologue, way more than I probably needed to. I spent about two weeks deep diving the Salem Witch Trials. Um, things like uh, now, whenever I see a post on Facebook about how the Salem Witch Trials were started by men, I'm like, well, actually, they weren't. It was woman on woman. Um, or they'll be like, oh, only only women were burned during the witch trials. Well, no, actually, nobody was burned alive during the Salem witch trials. And there were actually men who were killed during the trials as well as women. One thing that might interest you and maybe you could use as some of the someone's backstory is that some of the witch trials or excuse me, the witch trials actually started in Europe, specifically England. And maybe some of them might be from there. I don't know. Just something to think about. I, I actually took an entire course on witches, history of the witch trials. It was fun because, too, the second series that interloops with that is about vampires. And I was like, I wonder, is there something similar to the witch trials for, like, vampires? And there was. And it happened right around the same time in the same New England area where they were literally hunting vampires. <laughs> I'm like, you know, what a time to be alive. <laughs> I think a lot of it had to do with religious um, really problems. <laughs> and superstitions. Yes. So in that particular one, found family, I'm assuming they start to join each other as a family, even though they're all from different covens yeah and that one it's really fun because they're all so different and so when i started the series i wanted to be a ya series uh, but i realized that it really by putting it ya it really limited me because to be considered a young adult novel all of your characters have to be under the age of 18. some will stretch to 21 but in general it's under 18. And I didn't want to limit myself that much. So like I said, McKenna is the youngest. She is 18 in book one. I'm working on book three now, which is actually the oldest. And it's a 65-year-old biker. I mean, I had, it is still buried in the archives of my Facebook page, a picture of a wall in my old apartment where I had note cards taped to the wall. And I literally went through, as I was designing these characters, I was like, nope, they can't have that trait because this person has that trait. <laughs> and I wanted them to be all completely different. So you could see how they come together and learn to deal with those differences. Awesome. So I want to thank you very much for being a wonderful guest on my show. And... I'm going to ask one last question. It's a question I ask everybody. If you could give one piece of advice to a not yet published fantasy or urban fantasy writer, what would it be? Don't stop. Don't get discouraged. Don't listen to the people who tell you you can't do it 
Don't listen to the voice inside your head telling you you're wasting your time. Don't listen to the people who tell you to just go get a real job and give up the fantasy. Because if you keep working at it and you keep pushing, you're going to turn that fantasy into your reality. Don't give up. Just keep pushing on. That's beautiful. Thank you very much. And again, thank you so much for being on our show. I really appreciate all that you shared. And I, ha- I think I have a few more books on my TBR now. <laughs> so <laughs> fantasy is my is my niche. So Bye anyway, <laughs> thank you again very much. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Authors Alcove. We will be back next week on Wednesday where we will have a writer share yet another piece of work. Also, every other Tuesday, we do learn from experts such as editors, marketing execs, book cover artists, illustrators, and more. If you are interested in being a guest on our show, feel free to go to authorsalcove.com, go to the podcast tab, and then click on Be a Guest. If you're looking for a healed heart, hop on over to our sister podcast, Strength, Love, and Healing with Authors Alcove. You can find that on Spotify and the Apple Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. Have a great day.